We've been in this series now for, uh, this will be week number nine in the Hunger series. How many of you have, have enjoyed this series, have enjoyed the words that have come forth from this series? Yes. Um, it's been great. I think our, our, our uh, pastors who've been writing the sermons, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but we have like a, a team and, and every week we kind of uh, let one person write parts and pieces of the sermon and we put it together. And so uh, this morning I've been reading over the sermon that, that Pastor Howard kind of sent out to us this week because he was in charge of putting together most of it. And he did an incredible job of, of putting together a sermon in John 4 that goes right along. And so uh, we've all been kind of in the same vein and working in unity and I'm just excited about the Word. I'm excited about the church being hungry. Amen? God can bless a hungry church. Amen? Amen. So here we are, week number nine. Uh, I wanted to do one more thing. The Lord laid it on my heart. Eddie, could you just come here for just a second? Yeah, come on. I don't know if y'all know this guy right here, but uh, he is, he's an armor bearer. He takes care of our pastors and our preachers. They preach on Sunday. And him and Pastor Ed, they don't get enough credit here. And, uh, and, and Eddie's taking, me, taking care of me so well this morning, and so I just want to honor this man of God and thank you for what you give to the house, and we love you very much. <laughs> Pastor Ed as well. All right, let's get into it. John chapter 4. Yeah, yeah. John 4. Uh, I got to be honest where I'm at this morning uh, in reading the sermon, and I was up till probably 2.30 last night. Uh, in part because I couldn't get over the excitement I had over the game yesterday. That was awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, my, my blood pressure took a while for it to come down. Uh, but uh, I was up really late, and, and the Lord um, took what was in John 4 that we're going to read at the campuses this week and preach from at the campuses this week. And he, he took me to a couple other places in the Old Testament. So, um, you know, we're just going to get to where we get to. This morning's going to be a little bit different. You know, last time I preached two weeks ago, I believe on the Beatitudes, we kind of stuck to Matthew 5, and we just dug it out. How many of you enjoyed the Beatitudes? Amen. Yeah, it was, it was good. And, and we dug out Matthew 5. This, this morning, there, we're going to kind of uh, go over a, a whole chapter in John 4. So not just a couple verses, but John 4, pull from it, see where we get to. Uh, John 4 tells the story of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. Uh, I love this chapter because it, it really um, demonstrates and shows just how intentional that Jesus was. And so I'm excited about what this series is going to bring the, to the body this morning. Uh, I want to say this. If you have a testimony, we talked about this in staff. If you have a testimony of how this series has transformed your life, uh, write to us. Email us. Let us know what stuck out. It helps us as a church, helps us as pastors, helps us know kind of the vein and what we're going into if we hear from you. So office at daystar.me, uh, if you could just share your story, share what God's doing in your life over these last couple of weeks, and it would really help us out. But John chapter 4, let's just read, um, let's read the whole thing. And I'll, I'll read fast, so just follow along with me. We're going to throw it up there. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the reason why he left Judea and Galilee was there was kind of like this political polarization of baptism and what baptism was supposed to be. And at this time in Jesus' ministry, he did not want to kind of ruffle the feathers of a lot of the Jews, so he went to Samaria to do more ministry because Judea and Galilee were in such conflict. So he leaves there, verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his, to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Interesting. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he, sh he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, to you am he. Amen. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought him anything? Jesus said to them, My meat or my food, my broma, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have bestowed no labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. We'll stop there. We can go home now. Let's just close up and leave, right? It's all good. Amen. Father, this morning I pray once again.
Lord, that you would so reveal your heart, so give us direction and vision for Lord, what needs to be adjusted in our own life, Lord, what needs to change, or what we need to adjust to be where we need to be. Lord, we love you, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would remain with us, and that you, O King, would sit in comfort in this house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, a lot of interesting things there, right? A lot of things. How many of you have read John 4 before? How many of you have heard a sermon on John 4 before? I'll tell you this. One of the most uh, frustrating things for me in studying the Bible, because that's kind of my job now, is, is going back and listening you know, from sermons that I heard in middle school, high school, college, and hearing things that I'm like, okay, I've heard so many sermons on this, and I still have no idea what they were talking about, right? And there's a lot of little things that Jesus says here, or that people, or that this woman says to Jesus, and you're like, what is, is he or she talking about? So I'm going to kind of try to give some clarity to that, and then we're going to stay on this theme of hunger. So let's just look at this first. Let's look at John 4, uh, starting with verse 7 through 15. Let's look, well, let's look at 6 first. Uh, five, six. So he came to a city of Samaria, which was called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Okay, so understand this. You've got this city, Sychar, and then about a half mile away from the city of Sychar is Jacob's well. Now what's so interesting about this is that in the city of Sychar, there would have been multiple places that you could have went to get water. Yet this woman, at the sixth hour of the day, what does that mean? In the Jewish calendar, they worked off of a 24-hour day period that went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So basically sunrise to sunset. They weren't like us. They didn't go from like 12 a.m. midnight to 12 a.m. midnight. They went from 6 to 6. And so when it says the sixth hour, that would have been noontime for us. That would have been right in the middle of the day. So in the middle of the day, in the blazing hot sun, sweating, walking a half mile out, she leaves the city in which she would have been easily been able to go and draw water and she goes a half mile out to draw water from a well that was a hundred foot deep that would have required a lot of work to pull water out of why because she was such a social outcast that she had to walk a mile and a half out of her city inconvenience herself so much to draw from a well that had been dug hundreds or thousands of years before that was a hundred foot deep to get her water. That's how ostracized and separated from society she was. Okay, so when we read this story, it's not like, hey, Jesus was just sitting at a well right here waiting and waiting and waiting, and then just by happenstance, this woman came. He was intentional, and he knew what was about to happen. Because I'll tell you this, no one else went out to this well. This wasn't a well that was popular. This wasn't a well that a lot of people went to. This was a well that probably only one person was going to that day, and it was this Samaritan woman. And she goes out there to Jesus, and then this just unbelievable story happens. So it says, uh, verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So I've always kind of wondered that. Like, why didn't the Jews have dealings with the Samaritans? And, and it basically dates back, I won't spend too much time on this, 
to a, a war that happened about 750 years before this where the Assyrians kind of came in and broke up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you had a sect of people that now we call the Samaritans who started um, uh, being inundated with the Assyrian culture and, and so the Jews there started having, you know, relationship with the Syrians. And one of the most sacred things to a Jew was having a pure bloodline, being a complete Jew. Well, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds in the fact that they were now part Assyrian, part Jew. And to a Jew, you don't do that. That's like the worst thing that you can possibly do because now God doesn't like you because you're contaminated. So now it's like they're half-breeds. We don't talk with them. We don't associate with them. And there was a hatred that had built up between the two races and the two people. So that's what we're dealing with here. And I love the fact that Jesus sets this up to where his disciples are away so that he can minister to her one-on-one. -on -one. Because I don't believe that you would have had the same transparency and openness from this woman if there would have been 11 or 12 other men standing around her. So Jesus is just so intentional with everything that he does. It's so cool. But, okay. For, Jesus, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we're going to kind of put a pin in this and come back. And this is where we're going to kind of come back to the hunger series, okay? But let's just keep reading for context because this is fun. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Great question. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as the well as his sons and as his livestock? So, she's asking a, a very logical question here. Okay, why did you come to this well, knowing that it's at least 100 feet deep, and you brought nothing to draw water out with? And she says, are you greater than your father Jacob? Okay, now why would she ask that question? Because hundreds of years before, when Jacob had gotten there, he realized that that area had no uh, source of, of a, like a spring or fresh water, so he had to build a well to get water out of. And he's saying that he has living water, yet if Jacob couldn't find living water, why would this man be able to find living water? That's why I've always, anybody else ever wondered that before? Like, why does she say, why does she talk about Jacob? To clear that up, what she's saying is, okay, if Jacob, our father, who is, who, you know, Jacob is Israel, he is your, you know, person, he was the hierarchy, he's the one that through Abraham had covenant with God. If he couldn't find living water, are you saying that you're greater than him? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Let's jump down to verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, there's a couple different ways that we could go with this. And so, I just want to be very transparent about where I'm at. Okay? Um, I, I love to teach, as you guys know, right? So I could sit here and go through the rest of John 4 
and just go bam, 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 and just eat it all. But this last night, early, early in the morning, and then even on the way here, and then even in worship, the Lord just kept pegging me with Jeremiah chapter 2 and bringing in a correlation between this, and he wouldn't let me get away from Jeremiah chapter 2. And I want to show you, I want to show you something here in kind of a similarity. So we're going to go kind of an opposite way of, what I, of where I want to go, kind of an opposite way of what we intentionally planned in the sermon, but i got to follow the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? All right. Jeremiah 2. Throw it up there for me, BJ. In fact, let's just let's go to verse 11 so it doesn't take too, too much time. Jeremiah 2, 11. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Keep reading. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Keep going. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn or made for themselves cisterns. Cisterns are wells. Broken wells, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In reading this, and thinking about the woman, the woman that was getting life out of an old well, out of a well that represented tradition, out of a well that represented an old religious system, out of a well that represented kind of an old covenant, Jesus comes to bring her new water, a fountain of living water, and a new covenant. Now how do we know that this woman was drawing from, and I, I kind of painting a prophetic picture, drawing from an old well, drawing from an old religious system, drawing from something that was not new and something that was not fresh. Watch her conversation with Jesus going back to John 4. Verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So watch this. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. What is she talking about? I've always wondered this one too. Let me teach so the Jews believed that Moses received tablets on Mount Elam, Elab, E-L-A-B, right? And so they believed that that was a sacred place, right? In Jerusalem, around this little territory where a few mountains were, you know, Mount Zion and everything, there was this like, uh, there was this just sacred, holy ground, and that's where you went to worship God. Okay? The Samaritans changed the Scripture and changed their interpretation of the Scripture to believe that at Mount Gizdok was where the true worshipers went and worshipped. And that was here in this location. So if you were standing at Jacob's well, you could have looked at Mount Gizdok and she's saying, we worship here. You say that you're supposed to worship there. 
So I want you to see this. Her concept of worshiping and coming to God had been relegated or, or deficient down to a separated place where some people went to worship God this way, other people went to worship God over here, and some people were right and some people were wrong. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But I'm telling you, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. We're going to go somewhere here. Y'all ready? She had this mindset like I had to be in a certain location to worship God. And the Jews had this mindset of we've got to be in the city of Jerusalem around the temple, right, around the mountain, in the sacred ground, on the holy ground in order to encounter God. And Jesus is saying to a Samaritan woman hearing this out of the mouth of a Jew who they've been separated, who they hate, and they have some sort of religious war going on between the two. He says, let me tell you something. Your old way of thinking and my people's old way of thinking, it's done. Here's the new era. We worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means wherever you are, no matter when it is, as long as you are in the spirit and you are in truth, the Father is there. And it doesn't matter if you're black or white, if you're Baptist or Pentecostal, if you're Methodist or Presbyterian, if you have a huge church, if you have a small church, if you came from inner city or you came from the country, if you have a rich socioeconomic background or you have a poor socioeconomic background, whether you're popular, whether you're one of the least like people in all of the world, it does not matter when you come to the Father in spirit and you come to the Father in truth. He is faithful and just to fill you with the fountain of love living water that springs forth everlasting life. What's he saying? True worship doesn't happen in a building. It doesn't happen in a certain place. It happens in the heart. He says, worship the Father. Now let's go back to Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 11. Throw it back up there for me, BJ. Has a nation changed its gods? which are not gods. You know what's so funny about this whole story and studying it? 
So this Samaritan woman that we know had five, five husbands, right? I think this is so cool. For all the Bible studies, this might blow your mind. You ready? The Samaritan woman had five husbands, okay? The Samaritans, when they went to go and uh, kind of like reestablish their religion apart from the Jews after they had this like separation, they only took five books, okay? They took five books, and that was what they based their view of God on. And she says to Jesus, or Jesus says to her, you have five husbands. Just like the Samaritans had five books. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you have spoken rightly. And then they had this conversation like, but... You're almost flirting with the sixth one. There's one at home that you're not married to yet. Can you see it? That the Samaritans had their five books that they based everything off of, that they clinched to, that they set their affection on. And he stands there as the sixth and says, Listen, here I am. This is your husband. I am He. Man, I love the Bible. It's fun. All right, back to us. Has a nation changed its gods? You realize the Samaritans started out as Jews with one God, Yahweh. And then they became conditioned to a religious system that was built around books. Has the nation changed its gods? Yeah, the Samaritans had. Which are not gods. Now hold on just a second. But my people have changed their glory. One verse that I think it's the King James says, my people have traded their glory for what does not profit. Now, we can look at the Samaritans and the Jews, but where are we in this? Has a nation changed its gods? This was me yesterday, right? Anna is used to me in the middle of an Albion football game being like, Oh my gosh! Touchdown. You know, it's like going nuts, right? Everybody in here is guilty of that. Roll Tide. Amen? All right. And I'm not about to get on this, like, you know, rant about football or whatever. I love it. I love it. I do. But even apart from football, we were having this conversation on the way here this morning, and there's this new app on your phone, uh, or new, not new app, but there's a part of the settings that shows you how much time you spend on each app on your phone, right? We're sitting there talking about, like, five hours on social media a day, and, like, you pick up your phone 76 times a day, like, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, my God, what is my God? Because you realize, like, like, God, the word God is not his name. The word God has to do with title and position. So anything can be your God. His name is Yahweh, not God. His name is Yahweh. Okay? 
and I choose whether or not Yahweh is my God. I've chosen whether Netflix, social media, Alabama football, money, I choose what is my God and that what is ruling and has the position and authority over my life. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, to the people of Jerusalem says at one point, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? My people have traded or changed their glory for what does not profit. If there's a verse that is more true about the state of the church and the state of God's people right now, I couldn't find one. One of the well, this is one this this is one of the verses that that wrecks me every time I read it. Because my people have traded their glory. And you know what I start to think about? What glory was I born? When I was born, what type of glory was set apart for me to experience on the earth that I have traded away? Do you know that your eyes have been made to observe over 18,000 different variations of colors? Yet, I know that there's a father of lights out there that James 2 speaks about. I know that there's one that from his throne proceeds a fire. That his eyes are like blazing fires, that his hair is white as wool, that his feet are as bright as bronze, and that his face is as bright as the sun, and I've yet to see it. Why? Because I've traded my glory, what I was born for, for a God that does not profit. And coming back to the hunger topic, what am I hungry for? Am I more hungry? to experience the glory that I was designed for when I was put on the earth? Or am I more hungry for money and fame and, and, and succeeding and temporary things? Am I more hungry for a religious system? Am I more hungry for ministry? Or am I hungry for the glory that's been set apart for me? Can you, I mean... Think about Yahweh sitting up in heaven, looking down at a people that he made covenant with, that he wanted to drop every ounce of his glory on. The mysterious one that created the cosmos, that knows every star and has a name for all of them. That he breathes and life comes out. That there's not a thing that he can imagine or create in his mind that he cannot also do with his hands. 
that has the ability to stop the element of time at any time he wants to, that sets the stars in motion, sets the tides in motion, knows how much water is in the sea, knows how much land is on the earth, knows how many planets there are, knows how big the sky is, know at what rate light travels, yet I have traded having relationship and drawing from that fountain of living water and realizing the glory that he has for me for a God that does not profit. What am I hungry for? And sometimes you don't, and I don't realize Sometimes we don't realize what our appetite is going to until we encounter a superior thing that deserves our appetite. And the goal of this morning is to look at just this verse and think about the time that I have left on the earth and say, God, I'm more hungry to experience the glory that you set apart for me in the beginning than I am for what the earth has to offer me. I was made for more. And you were made for more. And the people of God have been bought with a price for more than just the average American version of Christianity that we just come here, we, we dress up, we shake each other's hands, we go home, and we do the same thing week after week. I want His glory. I want His power. I want His name. I want the miracles. I want the signs and the wonders. I want the amazement that comes when Yahweh God in His presence comes and sits in the house where His people have dwelt. And we see things that no eye has seen or ear has heard you were born for it and I was born for it yet I've traded that life for something that doesn't profit me at all and instead what have we done what have we done Jeremiah 2 13 next verse for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and made for themselves cisterns or wells, broken cisterns that hold no water. What is he saying? And what have we done? Instead of coming to him for new glory, for more glory, for more water, for more life, what we have done is we've made a well and we've put everything that he's ever given us and everything that the world gives us and we put it in this dead, stagnant well that's not fresh, that's not living, that's not abundant and we continue to draw upon that while he is over here in glory saying, come to me, come to me, I am he, I am the fountain of living water. I am the river of life. John four. 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the well, the well that, that, that is built on the religious system, that's built on old covenant, that's built on old stories of what I've done, 
will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. made and it's the reason why when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you get to 35 and 40 years old and 45 and 50 and you look back over your life there's still a hole missing because you're like what have I really done yes you have your family and yes you have your job and yes you have your career and yes you've had happy moments and good moments and successes and accomplishing goals and you've even had times where you experienced his presence and you're like yes this is good but there's so much more what I love? He says the hour is coming and now is. Jesus is the only thing in history that ever had the power to be here and coming. Which means if I have him here, I can always ask for more because the hour is now and the hour is coming. He is here and he is coming. Which means I should never be satisfied with the level that I'm at now and the level of experience that I am at with him now. I should always be hungry for more. have committed two evils they've forsaken me the fountain of living water when's the last time you drew from something new and fresh or are you still having to go back to old wells listen I get it there's times in our journey when we go back and we reflect on the faithfulness of God, that we draw from past experiences. But you know what that's supposed to do? Build our faith for new experiences. Not make us complacent where we are. You with me, Pastor Mark? psalmist described what you were designed for as well as anybody Psalm 1 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor sits in the seat of the scornful nor stands in the path of sinners but his delight is in the law of the Lord for upon it he meditates day and night what does it say he shall be a tree planted by rivers of living water that bring forth fruit and what a, a better translation of what's said there in the Hebrew brings forth fruit in every season and whose leaf never withers 
The most indicting thing in my life is that I have times in my life when I'm bearing fruit and I have other times when my leaf is withering. Why? Because I forsake the fountain of living water that I was designed to be planted by. You were born to be planted in a river of living water. That means that in every season, no matter what's going on around you, whether it's winter around you or summer or spring or fall, whether it's good, whether it's bad, you are born to bring forth fruit in every season and have your leaf never withering. Why? Because you were born to bring forth something that comes from within the fountain of living water and not the element seasons that are around you. God's seasonal elements should never stop us from bringing forth fruit. You know, we've been talking about having revival around here for a while and, and there's a stirring and there is surely an awakening within the body and what's going on in the church here. There's some pretty incredible things happening. And there's been this prophetic declaration that's went out that said revival is coming to Daystar. But every prophetic declaration must be met with obedience. And I don't want to sit here and say revival's coming and expect to just receive it. I want to say revival is coming, let me be ready. I want to say 2019 is the year that God outpours His Spirit on this house like never before. Let me be positioned to receive. What does that mean? Every other God that takes away my affection, rip it from my heart. Every other thing that I set my heart of affection on, rip it away so that you can downpour your glory that I was designed for. Saying, God, if I have to fast, let me fast. God, if I have to pray, let me pray. God, if I have to turn it off, let me turn it off. God, if I have to get rid of it, let me get rid of it. But I don't want to trade my glory for something that does not profit me. Well, how many of you feel the Lord? service like this we make an altar call for you to come down and receive from the fountain of living water and then you go home and go right back to your well you take that water you pour it 
in a well and you keep trying to come up with something out of the well. And I'm here to tell you there's a lifestyle that's more than just an experience and an altar. There's a lifestyle when you're at home at 2 o'clock in the morning. He can come and sit on you. He can come and rain His glory on you. He can come with His presence in the streets. He can come with His presence when you're eating out with your wife and with your family. He can come on Christmas morning when you're trying to give gifts to family members and you, they've been lost and they've been hurting and they've been separated from God. He can come in your house with His presence and bring them to reconciliation again. I want the fountain of living water. now. 